You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. Well, it's good to see you and good to be together. And I ask you to please take your Bibles or your device or a pew Bible there on the ground next to you. And you can go to Mark chapter 5. Mark 5. And if you're using the pew Bible, you can turn to page 891. And you'll find us there. So now we're in the part of our series on the miracles of Jesus, where we're going to hang around in a neighborhood in the Gospel of Mark, where Mark, after account, after account, after account, he is showing us the amazing power of Jesus and what this means for our lives right now. And what this shows us about the mighty wonders of God. So we're going to be hanging around in Mark for a few weeks. And then we'll wrap up in the Gospel of John with a miracle there. And then we're going to dive into the book of Galatians. And just wrestle around in that Gospel Nova that Paul writes. And we're going to begin that on Reformation Sunday. So I can't wait for us to begin Galatians. And today we see what happens in Mark 5. when We see what happens when Jesus and an army of demons collide. And so as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. And we'll begin in verse one. And the Holy Spirit tells us, they came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs and no one was able to restrain him anymore not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, what do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? He asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. So the demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. The men who tended them ran off and reported it into the town and the countryside and people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus did not let him but told him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim on the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now. 
as we look at your word, may we see the mighty power and the deliverance that your son, King Jesus, brings to people like us. Help us, Lord. And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I think we are all prone to underestimating. Like even all kinds of things, but especially like hot sauces. Someone tells you it's really hot. You're like, oh, I need to see for myself. And a waiter brings like, a, hey, the plate's hot and you touch it. You're like, ooh, like, I just told you that plate was hot. And I think the whole business of movies with demons and exorcisms has really caused us to underestimate the reality of them. The whole sensationalization of demons and exorcisms and in these movies, it has really caused us to kind of, that's really probably the best thing that could have happened for Satan. Because now we all act like, oh, that's just Hollywood or it's not really like that. And we act like it's no big deal. Now we belittle them and now we're skeptical of them. I mean, even last night, my wife and I, Natalie, we're watching TV, trying to find something to watch. And we land on Food Network and we're like, oh, there's no Guy Fieri shows on. This is lame. But what was on, there was this Halloween battle, it said. And the description of it said, so they're making these cakes for this contest. And the description was demonic wedding. So our society and our time period, we have gotten so casual with the demonic realm that now we're having a contest over demonic wedding cakes. Friends, demons are real. I have encountered demonic activity myself. I've been a part of, I guess, what you would call an, an exorcism here in Tombaugh. Friends of mine, even just this past week, I was at a pastor's conference and they were talking about being there and seeing firsthand voices change, uncontrolled vomiting. I mean, all the kinds of things that you would see in a movie, facial contortions, a demon saying their name. So I say all that to do not undersell their activity. Our, our, there are other dangers. There are dangers to over-sensationalize uh, certain denominations in Christianity to go too far with them. That is not our danger. Our danger is to belittle them, to undersell them, and to not actually see how real they are. And today in, on the Sea of Galilee, we see a battle, a cosmic battle happening on the shores of Galilee, and that happens right here in Tombald too. And we see what demons do. They want to distort, they want to deceive, and they want to destroy. Look at verse one. So they came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. So if you remember last week, they, the disciples and Jesus just crossed the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, I mean, their boat is getting capsized, about to flip over because and drown because of the storm. But Jesus calms it. And you would think, as they go to the other side of the sea, I'm sure the disciples, like us, we would think, okay, we're going to get off of this boat. We're going to regather ourselves. We're going to debrief about what's happening. But as soon as Jesus gets out of the boat, a man barrels out of the tombs. This is like, this is like stuff of a scary movie. I don't know if you've ever been in a parking garage late at night, pitch black by yourself. Your instinct, probably like mine, is to take your keys and put them between your fingers. Just in case... It's a scary situation. Now they have a man barreling at them out of the tombs. And you just saw, look at this guy. He lived in the tombs. No one was able to restrain him anymore. He had often been bound with shackles. And we know he's naked because later when he's, the demon's cast out, he's dressed. 
He's been cutting himself with stones. So there you have a naked man barreling towards Jesus and the disciples, cuts and scabs all over him. And he's been howling and shrieking constantly in the mountains and in the tombs. Now we learn why Jesus wanted to go to the other side of the sea. Last week, we saw the disciples, it's nighttime, and they thought, hey, maybe we can shut this down. But Jesus says, I want to go to the other side of the sea. Now we see why Jesus wanted to go over. He wanted to help this man. He wanted to free this man. This is a snapshot of really what we see demons, the satanic powers, what they want to do to human beings, what they want to do to people like us. They want to destroy, they want to distort, and they want to deceive. Now, I know that some of us are already thinking, hey, I'm a Christian. I, I, I can't be uh, controlled by a demon like this. But listen, you can be influenced. You can be deceived. This demonized man really isn't any different from you or me. He is just further down the continuum. Satan and his forces are active against you and want, and want you to think about them as little as possible. They want you to attribute it all to drugs, all to chemical imbalance. They want you to attribute it all to rough upbringing. They want you to attribute it to, oh, just mental illness. Those things are real too. There's no doubt that demons work through them, but there are other ways that demons work. And you must know this cosmic warfare is real. As Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, be sober-minded, be alert. This is written to Christians, written to us. He's telling us, be alert. Why? Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Not just in unreached parts of the world, not just on the so-called mission fields, but he's everywhere. This is no joke. This is not the stuff just of movies. This is your life and mine. That's why Paul writes to the Corinthian church, I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve all the way back to the Garden of Eden, as the serpent hissed to Eve, I fear that by his same cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Satan knows he can't take you away from Jesus, but he wants to seduce your love, seduce your mind, seduce your devotion. He wants to distract you from him batter you with temptations and evil thoughts and to bait your pride and to assault you with unrighteousness. But those are the ways we usually think Satan works. But listen, Satan also wants to seduce you with false Bible teaching. Demons work through drugs and blatant evil, but don't doubt for a minute that demons don't also work through people with a Bible in their hands. As Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, now the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, times like now, some will depart from the faith because of these great temptations in the world. No, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. In the name of Jesus, people will teach all kinds of horrible and hurtful things. And in our area, legalism is one of the biggest demonic teachings here. Legalism isn't just less than ideal Christianity. It's the teaching of demons. Beloved, the story of this demonized man, this isn't just some action movie for us to ooh and awe at. This is for us to take note. Demons want to destroy, to distort, and to deceive you. Because look at what happens to this poor man. Look at verse three. He lived in the tombs and no one was able to restrain him anymore. There's really two things happening here. He's described as a man with an unclean spirit, and he's living in the tombs. He's living in an unclean place. 
These are the tombs. They're off limits. Here's what this shows us. Listen, he's living in the tombs. That's a double meaning happening. He's living in a dead place. He's living in the place of the dead. The satanic powers want you to live like you are dead. Even if you are alive in the risen Christ, they want you to think I'm dead in my sins. I'm hopeless. My life has has nothing vital in it anymore. I'm in these chains. I have no hope. I'm done for. There's no point in my life. Listen, when we give in to that kind of thinking, we are setting up camp in the tombs. But what we must remember, as we just sang, beloved, is that, yeah, we used to live in the tombs, but we don't anymore because Jesus walked out of his tomb. Because Jesus is alive in the heavenly places. We are no longer dead in our sins. Even though we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. And though we did once follow the prince of the power of the air. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, who is rich in mercy, set us free in the Son of God. Now in Christ, we love alive things, but Satan loves dead things. As Jesus says, the enemy comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I came that you may have life abundantly. He's living like he's dead. And notice the second thing, this man is isolated. Look at verse three again. He lived in the tombs and look at this. No one was able to restrain him anymore. Not even with a chain. This man's isolated. He's by himself living in the tombs and no one was able to restrain him anymore. That word anymore is so key. That word anymore teaches us a thousand things. Teaches us that everyone's given up on him. They tried. We can't do anything anymore. People tried to subdue him. People tried to restrain him, but they gave up. He's alone. He's isolated. Beloved, Satan wants you to be isolated. He wants to pick off those who are straying from the herd. Listen, when you find yourself hiding from other Christians, when you find yourself withdrawing from your spouse and withdrawing from your kids and withdrawing from your friends and you wanna be up late at night by yourself and you always wanna kind of be by yourself, the demonic forces are lurking and slithering right behind you. Community-less Christians are a notch further down the continuum of demonic influence. They want us to be isolated from one another. They want to deceive you. That's why we need the voice and we need the presence of other Christians speaking the truth of God's word to us to help us like we really need because our ideas to help ourselves are always bad. Look, Look at verse four. Look how they tried to help him. He had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. I tried to restrain him, but he's too strong. This is, this is the language of a beast. He's like an animal. And even more, we know that because in verse five, look at what it says. Night and day, he's in the tombs and on the mountains, and he's crying out. The word is literally shrieking. He's howling. So they can't restrain him with chains. He's howling and shrieking. The the Bible's trying to show us this man doesn't even act human anymore. He's like a beast, howling, shrieking, naked, chains. He's been dehumanized. Listen, Satan wants to dehumanize you. 
Satan wants to pervert your humanity because one of the most precious, look around at me, one of the most precious things about you is that you are made in the image of God. And Satan hates the image of God in you. And Satan wants you to hate the image of God in others. He wants to dehumanize you. And he wants us to dehumanize one another. That's why white supremacy, racism, Nazi, Hitler, and anything else that attempts to dehumanize someone is the bidding of the demonic powers. Satan wants you to hate the image of God and other people. And Satan wants you to hate the... Satan wants you to hate yourself. Satan wants you to hate the image of God in you. And that's why that demonized man is cutting himself. He's trying to end it. And I believe that because as soon as the demons enter the pigs, the pigs run off the cliff to death. The demons got what they were after. Listen, this is all very dark. And some of us have very dark places in our hearts and in our minds. Others, we just ignore it and haven't walked down those alleys in a while, honestly. Maybe you're wondering today, can I really be set free from all the darkness in my life? I come here every week and I, I fake it, I smile, but there is a turmoil inside of me. You've isolated yourself, hoping that would help. You've tried restraining yourself, but it hasn't changed you. It's interesting that they say here in verse, the end of verse four, no one was strong enough to subdue him. We don't need to be subdued. This man didn't need to be subdued. He needed to be delivered. And you need deliverance. I need deliverance. What we all need is what Jesus does. And what does he do? He delivers. Look at verse six. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him and he cried out, croaked. This word literally means with a loud voice. What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. So this demonized man runs up to Jesus with a shriek and a howl. He speaks to him. Jesus, son of the most high God. I don't know if you remember last week after Jesus calmed the storm, the disciples say, who then is this? The demons answer, this is who this is. Son of the most high God. Not, he calls him most high, the most high God. Not the son of Zeus, not the son of Caesar. The most high God, he's overall. The demons know who Jesus is and they know he's God in flesh and they know their end is coming at some point. That's why they say, don't torment us. It's not time for us to be into the eternal chains. We still have some hell to raise. And in this time, when these demonic encounters would happen, it was believed that if you said the full name of the person, if you said their name and their office, if everything you knew about them, if you said it, maybe you could grab control of them. That's why the demons are saying to Jesus, Jesus, son of the most high God. And look at what he says, the demon says next. I beg you before God, in the name of God, they're using God's name in vain to try and grab control of Jesus, saying his name. When you read that, hopefully we think, they are crazy. They think they're gonna take control of Jesus? Maybe they think since he is the eternal son of God, but he's become a man, maybe we can grab hold of him like we have other men. 
And Satan tries himself, tempts Jesus for 40 days in the wilderness. Satan's crazy. And he's after you. And they try to get control of Jesus, but Jesus has nothing to do with it. Let's look at what he says in verse nine. What is your name? I'm glad you know my name, demon. You tell me your name right now because I am taking control of you. And the demon says, my name is Legion because we are many. This is wild. A legion is a Roman military term for around 6,000 troops. Whether or not there are literally 6,000 demons and this man is not the point. The point is there are a ton of demons in him. Mary Magdalene had seven demons in her. And the demons now know it's over for them. He knows our name. This is Jesus, the son of the most high God. We cannot control him because when Jesus and the dark forces meet, we see who is in control. I mean, look at how everything begins to change already. This guy was naked, running, howling in the mountains. And now he's before Jesus begging. Verse seven, look. I beg you before God. Verse 10, begged him earnestly. I mean, I would just underline all these. I beg you, verse 10, begged him earnestly. Verse 12, the demons begged him to go into the pigs. Verse 13, and Jesus gave them permission. This is not a power struggle. This is the son of the most high God coming to conquer these demons. They're cowering before him, begging, please send us into the pigs. It's not time for us to go into the eternal dungeon yet. And wildly enough, Jesus grants their request. Look at verse 13, uh, verse 11. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside and the demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd of about 2000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. This is an odd fact of the story. Why? Why do they want to go into the pigs? I mean, you could go on to all kinds of things, what the show is about demons, how they can enter objects or whatever. I don't think that's the point. The point is that these are unclean spirits and they're entering unclean animals. It shows us something about Jesus too. I mean, a lot of money tumbled off this cliff. 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of bacon. It shows us to Jesus that one life, one person made in God's image is more valuable than an entire farm and all the money it can bring. Jesus does not care about all the economic stability that's going to happen in this town. He cares about that man. He cares about that one sheep that's gone astray. He cares about that one lost coin. He cares about that one son that's wandered off. You are more valuable than you realize. To Jesus. Except these town people, they don't, they don't believe that. They're upset at Jesus and they ask Jesus to leave. They don't care that this demonized man's been set free because look, verse 14, the men who tended them ran off and reported in the town and countryside and the people to see what had happened. Then look, they came to Jesus and look at the contrast here. They saw the man sitting there delivered. He's dressed in his right mind and they were afraid, not rejoicing. But look at verse 16. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon possessed man and it should be period, full stop. But instead, these are on equal planes to them. Here's what Jesus did to the demon possessed man and look what Jesus did to the pigs. 
and they ask Jesus to leave. Because these townspeople, they don't really love their neighbor. They're actually more like Satan now than the demonized man. They care more about themselves than the man who's been delivered. They'd rather him still be in the tombs. He didn't bother us, no big deal. But now we lost our economy in our region. And look at the difference in this man who's been delivered. Why they should rejoice. They saw the man, verse 15, who had been demon-possessed, demonized, is really like more literal. And look, he's sitting there. He's not running around. Dressed, no longer naked. Scabs covered, cuts covered. In his right mind, he's not howling. He's not shrieking. No running around naked in the tombs. No pacing, no, no talking to himself. Sitting there dressed and in his right mind. He's no longer alone sitting among the disciples. He's no longer acting like an animal. He no longer needs to be restrained because Jesus set him free. Jesus has reordered this man. He's reorganized him. He's fixed him. He's normal again. His dignity's been returned. His humanity is flourishing again. This is what Jesus does to you and me. He gives you your dignity back from your past, from your sins, the ones that are most embarrassing. Jesus, Jesus gives you new life. This man was delivered from a legion of demons and from all the effects that the demons brought and has been totally restored by Jesus. And listen, if you have believed in Jesus, this is what has happened to you. All of your past has been cast out. You've been set free from the demonic powers. And it happened to me. It may not have been with the shrieks and howls of demons that I could hear, but it happened. And I've been delivered and you've been delivered from that hiss all the way back in the Garden of Eden when Jesus triumphed over the demonic powers, when he disarmed them like in a martial arts movie and he embarrassed them on his cross, as Paul says in Colossians 2. And you were dead. You used to live in the tombs and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. And he made you alive with him. Forgave us all of our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us taking it away by nailing it to the cross and he disarmed the rulers and authorities. These are the demonic powers. He disarmed them. He took their weapons and just broke them right in front of them. And he disgraced them publicly. Jesus embarrassed Satan and all of the demons. He triumphed over them. This is what happened to Legion and this is what happened to you and me if you are in Christ. Uh, beloved, I love this picture of Jesus that we see. This tells us so much about our own salvation. Listen, Jesus went across the sea when no one else wanted to. Jesus went to an area of Israel filled with Gentiles where no one else wanted to go. Jesus went where no one else wanted to go. Jesus went where no one else could Jesus went to the lowest, darkest, grimiest, nastiest man in this region. Jesus went to the other side of town, on the other side of the tracks, the part that people don't want to go to. That's where Jesus says, I want to go. Jesus came for legion. I want you. I want to deliver you. 
I want to save you. Jesus goes where no one else will, loves where others won't love at great cost to himself. He goes among the unclean with no worry of being made unclean himself, but concerned with making others clean. And when others had given up on Legion, Jesus was on his way. And this is your story and mine, your lowest seasons in life, the darkest areas of your heart, the most embarrassing, isolating sins in your life. Jesus says, I'm coming for them. Our lowest, darkest sins, they don't make Jesus want to turn the other way. Jesus says, I am coming for them. And I am coming for you. I can deliver you. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Beloved, listen, you need to hear this. Jesus gives more than moral adjustments. Becoming a Christian isn't just having your morality tweaked. He didn't sit down with Legion and go, let me, let me show you how to combat some of your howling. Let me give you some tips for how to not shriek and run naked anymore. Jesus doesn't just give minor morality adjustments. Jesus brings deliverance. He sets us free from sin and death. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we will surely be united with him in a resurrection like his. And listen, we see in Legion, in the story, we see Christ himself and us. Listen, when, G when Legion lived among the tombs, we see a picture of Jesus who Jesus went to the tombs. Jesus went to his own tomb and died so we could be made alive. Jesus went into a tomb on his own authority, gave up his life, taking our sins, taking our legion of sins upon himself and dying in our place. And when Jesus walked out of the tomb, when he lived in the tombs again and walked out of them, and so we could be delivered, so we could be rescued, so we could be redeemed, as Paul says, he rescued us. We didn't need to be subdued. Legion didn't need to be subdued. He needed to be delivered. And we need to be delivered from the domain of darkness, the kingdom of Satan, and transferred, immigrated into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him, we have redemption, deliverance, the forgiveness of sins. You know what forgiveness, that word, what forgiveness looks like? We see it. It's restoration. We see it in legion. It looks like that man who's dressed, dressed and in his right mind. Everything is made right. If you've been forgiven of all of your sins by faith in Christ alone, you've been dressed in the righteousness of Christ. You put on Christ Jesus. You put on the new man. And you have your right mind. You have now the mind of Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. And it came at great cost. That's why these 2,000 pigs happen. I'm convinced why Jesus did this. The cost to save us was more than 2,000 pigs. Cost more than a herd of pigs to deliver you and me. Some people, I'm sure if Peter read this, they'd be really upset at Jesus. 
Why did 2,000 pigs have to die to save this man? That's there to ask us, what about the life of the Son of God to save you? What about the sacrifice of the Son of Man and his life to rescue you? Just like the pigs ended up being a substitute for legion. They died in legion's place. They plunged to their death. These pigs did on a, on a cliff. This unclean animal died off of a cliff. Well, Jesus became our substitute, crucified on a cliff, became unclean for us so that we could be clean. He became unrighteous on a cliff. He became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God by faith alone. Legion, the pigs, it's you and me. Have you believed? Have you believed in God's mercy? Today can be the day. Today can be your day of deliverance from sin, Satan, and death, and the wrath of God to come. And if you have, if you do know it, what Jesus wants after he delivers you is he wants you to make his mercy known. Look at verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, I just, I, I just love this fact. You've gotten to the mind of the disciples. Okay, we just crossed the sea. We almost died. Now we see this whole demonic thing. Can we chill for a little bit? He gets back into the boat. The man who had been demon-possessed, demonized man, begged him earnestly. He might remain with him. Well, this is evidence of deliverance, if I've ever seen one. He wants to be with Jesus. I mean, before he was begging, and when he was filled with those demons, Jesus, leave me alone. And now he's begging after he's been delivered. Jesus, don't leave me alone. Jesus, I don't want to be left alone. I think the greatest evidence of deliverance and freedom and being a Christian is this right here. I want to be with Jesus. Is that what you want most out of life? How you crave in your life? As I read this and studied and just thought about this yesterday, I just thought that's what I want. I want to be with him right now. I don't care if it's in the boat and, and the new heavens, the new earth to come and the pulpit in my car. I just want to be with Jesus because once you know the depths and the darkness of your deliverance, you just want to be with Jesus. That he would save you from your sins. That he would give you new life and that he would love you at the cost of his own life. Your desires are changed. Everything you wanted before, you don't want anymore. Now you just want Jesus. This man is truly in his right mind because he wants Jesus. He wants Jesus. But Jesus says, you can't come with me. I have something else for you to do. Look at verse 19. Jesus did not let him join their mission trip, but told him, no, go home. Go to your own, your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus has another mission for him. Now, you, you can't join our mission trip, but I have a mission for you. Go home. Go find your wife. Go find your friends. Go back to your own people. Go find your siblings. Go find the people who all gave up on you. Don't give up on them. You go to them. You go tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Tell them about my mercy. 
This is the first missionary Jesus deploys. Former demonized man. The first evangelist Jesus enlists. Go home and tell them how much I've done for you. Make my mercy known. Make much of me among your people. And he does, verse 20. So he went out. And he began to proclaim on the Decapolis. This is a just Greek word. It means 10 cities. It'd be like, he went to the greater Houston area. He went to the DFW Metroplex and made known how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. Beloved, listen. I know we all feel like, okay, I, sh- I should be sharing the gospel. I just don't know what to do. I don't know enough arguments. I don't know if I can prove that the Bible's right. Forget all of that. Take a cue from this passage, these lines from Jesus, this former demonized man. If you've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the son he loves, you have a story. Your testimony is powerful. Paul shares his, demonized man shares his, you share yours. And I know you're thinking, well, it's not as sensational as legions. Wrong, it is. It may not sound or look as sensational, but it is because there are no boring testimonies. There are, because here's why, listen, there are no boring deliverances. There are no lame redemptions. Every story of faith is filled with the pop and the sizzle and the joy and the sound of demons shrieking at their defeat because we know our risen Christ. You just itemize his mercy towards you and you make it known. Here's how God has been so kind to me. Here's the crazy ways I used to live. Here's what I used to think. Here's what I used to feel. Here's what I almost did. But Jesus has been so merciful to me. Your story is a catapult into conversations about Christ. Don't undersell it. Don't undersell the demonic. Don't undersell his mercy. Make it known. And let everyone be amazed at our King Jesus. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us. King Jesus, help us to make your mercy known. To to go home. Begin in our homes. In our families and tell them about your great mercy. How you've set us free. How you've delivered us. How you delivered us from a legion of sin, demonic influence, the ways of the world. And you've given us life in yourself. Help us, Lord, to not give in to the temptations and the deceit and the deception of Satan as he prowls around, even now as he prowls, as he slithers among us. If there's anyone here today who Lord, they, they feel a demonic influence in their life. Would you set them free? Would you deliver them, Lord? May we make your mercy known. It's in your mighty name we pray, King Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.